the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Five oh five on the clock. Craig Roberts on your radio here on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. How you doing? Good to have you with us today. Got a pretty busy program for you coming up later on tonight. A real treat. We're going to reprise some highlights from the KFAX Pastors Appreciation Event from a couple of years ago, featuring Dr. Robert Jeffers, speaker on Pathway to Victory. As you know, October is normally Pastors Appreciation Month, and uh, a tradition that actually began here at KFAX almost 30 years ago, but this year, out of an abundance of caution in relationship to all that's transpired with COVID-19, we have shifted to a virtual pastor's appreciation event all month long. And each Thursday, there's all kinds of great videos and other resources available to Bay Area pastors. You can check it out online at kfax.com. That's kfax.com. And uh, we thought as a bit of a tease, um, since tomorrow's keynote speaker for the pastors is Dr. Robert Jeffress, that we'd reach back a couple of years ago into our Lifeline archives and to bring you highlights from the me quick math in my head, the 2017, 2018 KFAX Pastors Appreciation Event featuring Dr. Robert Jeffress. So stay tuned for that coming up later on in this hour. Also, as promised, we're going to get to the ballot proposition. So this is a program tonight where you need to have your uh, your pen and paper in hand to take copious notes, and uh, we'll talk about the, the key ballot propositions and uh, our thoughts on them from a uniquely pro-life perspective. We'll get to that later on in this first hour tonight. The issue of the economy certainly has been uh, a tall order since the outbreak of COVID-19 and uh, and its impact at every stage of American life and around the globe. And while certainly there are many, many Americans that are suffering significantly because of what's going on economically in our country and many people that have been uh, on the unemployment rolls and the uh, the additional stipend run out, and so the challenges of trying to make ends meet, particularly here in the Bay Area. Well, if you think it's difficult for us here in the United States, imagine a country like India that so often has so many people living right on the edge of poverty and hunger 12 months out of the year, COVID-19 notwithstanding, now add into the mix the impact of COVID-19, and what you wind up with is a mixture that is deadly. And it's not just India. It's many parts of the world. In fact, um, in cooperation with International Day for the Eradication of Poverty, a new report that has come out 
by the United Nations indicates that worldwide there are some 375 million children alone that are living under crushing poverty. To get some insights, we're joined by Danny Yohannan, Vice President of Gospel for Asia, and great to have you back with us. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be back again. This is a challenge, and, and certainly, uh, Danny, as I mentioned, it's been exacerbated in many parts of the world because of COVID-19. But when you think about the number of children that live under poverty, for whom even the challenge of finding healthy meals on a day-to-day basis has become so challenging, this, this is particularly disturbing, especially with the added impact of COVID-19. You know, exactly. When you, you think about the normal day in life of many individuals in some of these developing nations, like India or Nepal, Sri Lanka, and some of these other surrounding countries where, you know, Gospel for Asia does uh, what we do to help some of the poorest in the entire world, um, it, it, is, it is devastating because it, it, without COVID-19, you already have tremendous challenges and difficulties um, of people just trying to barely get by and trying to just provide food on the table for their families. You know, many of the daily laborers make uh, less than a dollar or two a day um, to somehow use that to provide for their families. And then on top of all of the struggles and challenges that exist already, uh, you have the added complication of COVID-19. And it's not just COVID-19, it's the lockdowns, it's uh, the inability to find work. And so, you know, in, in our country here, you know, we, we have our own challenges, you know, whether it's education and students trying to figure out how to uh, continue their studies or it's uh, trying to make it to the grocery store to find, you know, toilet paper or basic food items. Um, we have our own challenges here or businesses just trying to barely stay open, families trying to pay rent. And so none of those things should be neglected. But for here, many times it falls into the category of inconvenience, um, even though for many it is, it is de- you know, devastating inconvenience. For millions and millions of people in places like India, it is not just an inconvenience, but for example, you literally have millions and millions of uh, daily laborers and migrant workers who are from other parts of the country who literally have no work anymore. And they're not able to stay the places that they're, they were working, and so they're making their way back to their homes, crisscrossing the entire nation. Um, and, uh, you know, many of them have not eaten for days. Many of them are just walking. Many of them are riding bicycles or taking cycle rickshaw, you know, carts to get back home. We met a family where the, the husband had uh, pedaled his rickshaw bicycle with a little wagon on the back with the family uh, 1,200 miles. Uh, when we met him, and they hadn't had food for quite a while. We met kids who hadn't had food for four days. It's just heartbreaking to realize that uh, because of COVID-19, the biggest uh, threat to life right now is not the death of, uh, of, of, you know, the sickness, but it is literally starvation, where you, you would normally have in cities like Mumbai or Delhi or Calcutta, you would have millions of people who would um, not only do, you know, scavenging work among the, the trash to find plastic and other items that they could sell, but, you know, beggars. There is no one to beg from. If you don't have anyone to beg from, then, I mean, how do you survive? And so 
just a crisscross in the entire nation, it is extremely, extremely challenging. Then on top of that, you have all these kids. Um, either their their schools are completely on pause, which means you're talking about an entire uh, year where no one is advancing to higher education, going to the workforce. In some of the villages, because of the lockdown, there are teachers who have gone to the middle of the village with megaphones, and all the kids are sitting on the porches trying to do their studies because there's no electricity out in the villages. There's no Internet. There's Even if you have a cell phone, you can't zoom into your class. Uh, many of the families, they may have one phone to the name of the entire family, so which child gets to try to zoom in for their class? I mean, these are, these are real difficult, challenging problems which have devastating effects um, on their future. And, uh, you know, like you said, you know, 375 million children are living in crushing poverty. This is just not inconvenient. This is life and death situations that we are dealing with right now. And as you point out, you know, we, we bemoan the challenges that we face here in the United States and, and in the West. And then you begin to realize that it's taken what was a difficult situation in many parts of the world and multiplied it many, many times over. And sadly, as you point out, the ones that suffer the most are children. And so often in many nations, either the resources or the infrastructure is not there for any sort of safety net. So unlike the United States, where we have not only government agencies, but also private agencies, organizations, food banks, Bay Area Rescue Mission, organizations like this that help people that are dealing with poverty, Many parts of the world, such um, uh, you know, rescue <laughs> efforts or or uh, safety nets—that's the word I'm looking for. Such safety nets just simply don't exist. We're coming up into the holidays here, uh, Danny. I know a lot of people don't realize it, or maybe are not ready for it. But before we know it, the holidays, Christmas in specific, are going to be here. And and the idea of us being able to maybe do something different, con- considering the amount of suffering going on around the world. Um, Tell me briefly, how can folks here in the San Francisco Bay Area partner with organizations like Gospel for Asia to help relieve some of the suffering? Yeah, you know, this is end of the year and beginning of the year. It just seems like, oh man, so many holidays stacked on top of each other and people use and waste a lot of resources that they normally wouldn't, you know, if they were thinking correctly in their brains, they wouldn't do that. I mean, you got uh, you know, c- upcoming Halloween, which is supposed to be all Hallow's Eve for Christians, and then you got you know Thanksgiving, then you got Christmas, then you got New Year's, then you got uh, you know St. Patrick's Day, and you and you got Valentine's Day. I mean, just it's like a whole slew of just like expectations for presents and celebrations and parties, and and yet you know in in the celebrations we we forget that half the world is just trying to barely survive and. The, the, the desperate need for them to experience the love of Christ, which we celebrate every Sunday, they are waiting to hear about that for the very first time. And, you know, my, my heart, my passion, and, and along with Gospel for Asia, we, we have one focus, which is people that never heard about Christ, have not experienced Christ, need to have at least the chance once in their lifetime to be able to know what Christ has done for them. And that's Gospel for Asia's heart. And so I would encourage people to go to gfa.org and check out what we are doing among some of the most poor in the entire world. You know, leading up from now till Christmas, we have our Christmas catalog campaign, our career campaign, where we, we help these families who are in great need, these desperate needed families, with life-changing gifts. 
that can help assist and break the cycle of poverty. And we've helped hundreds of thousands of families each year with gifts like buffaloes and chickens and sewing machines and clean water projects. Most people don't realize that Gospel for Asia puts in more clean water projects, I believe, than anyone else in the entire world. And that's something that we just we just keep doing it because it has such incredible effects. You talk about children being in great need, providing clean water in the village for these kids brings hope and healing and healthier lives to all these kids and the families. So if people would like to learn more about what Gospel Praise is doing, go to gfa.org and you can see how you can pray for us, you can partner with us, and how your life can make a difference by standing with us, especially during this time. And again, information available online at gfa.org. Think of Gospel for Asia, gfa.org. Our thanks to Danny Yohannan, Vice President of Gospel for Asia, for that update. 516 from KFAX. Speaking of updates, let's get you an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, speaking of great KFAX ministries, we've got Dr. Robert Jeffress coming up in just about a half hour or so as the crow flies. We're going to present some highlights from a um, past KFAX Pastors Appreciation event. And, of course, while we've moved the event to a virtual happening this year, pastors can still sign up and uh, be virtually blessed by going to kfax.com. Coincidentally, Dr. Robert Jeffress will be the keynote speaker in the fourth of our five-part Pastors Appreciation uh, series. That'll be tomorrow, so you can still check it out. Take advantage of all the resources. Just go online, pastors, to kfax.com and uh, click on the virtual pastor's appreciation event. All right. I I keep threatening to uh, hit some of the propositions again, as we did a couple of weeks ago. And so we're going to dive right in. We'll get through as many as we possibly can. So if you're ready to take some copious notes, uh, we're going to take off here. Proposition 14 authorizes bond money for continuing stem cell research, $5.5 billion, in fact, in state general obligation bonds that would fund grants from the so-called California Institute of Regenerative Medicine to educational, nonprofit, and private entities for stem cell and other medical research, including training, stem cell therapy development and delivery, research facility construction, and associated administrative expenses. Now, this basically reauthorizes what had been a bond measure, and it's just more of multiple billions of dollars for government funds for the failed and ethically questionable practice embryonic stem cell research that so far has proven to go absolutely nowhere. There is no legislative accountability in this particular measure. Built-in are conflicts of interest. Uh, For example, the board is composed of potential grant recipient candidates. That's convenient. And oddly enough, the chairman of the board, the president of the board, rather, receives more pay than the president of the United States, coming in at a cool $490,000 dollars a year. And remember, anytime you hear a bond measure, bond for this, bond for that, we want to raise money, we're going to float a bond for uh, construction of new highways, whatever, 
I, I want you to think in terms of bond equals bondage. Here's what I mean by that. Bond measure means that, just like you can buy municipal bonds, these are state bonds that investors buy, that the state then pays back to said investors over a period of time with interest. There's the catch, with interest. So when we talk about $5.5 billion in state general obligation bonds, be mindful that a percentage of that money is simply paying back interest. It would be far cheaper for taxpayers if they just came along and said, we're raising your taxes by X number of dollars because here's a special project we want to work on. Whenever it is a bond measure, remember that money is borrowed from private investors who expect to be paid back with interest. So it comes at a significant additional cost for California taxpayers. And based on the source of the stem cells, embryonic, you know where they're coming from, aborted babies. So the recommendation on Proposition 14 is a no vote. That's no on Proposition 14. Let's move on next to Prop 15, increasing funding sources for public schools, community colleges, local government services, by changing tax assessment of commercial and industrial property. This would be a constitutional amendment. And in short order, what is this? It is yet another attempt to try and gut the historic Proposition 13 of the 1970s that said to the state of California and to local counties, you cannot continue to choke people to death with property taxes. And as we've seen, the increase in California real estate jump by sometimes 20% per year. Imagine, in particular, how many seniors will be forced out of their homes because they could no longer afford to pay property taxes on their home. Uh, For example, and these are really rough numbers because there's all kinds of added things tacked on in local counties, but if you, say, purchased a home for a quarter of a million dollars, you bought a shack, but if, if, if you bought that home, say, 20 years ago, you'd be paying on average about $5,000, rough numbers, in property taxes per year. That same home, absent the protections of Proposition 13, which limits the amount that the home's annual assessment can be increased, that same home today would be paying eighteen dollars to $20,000 a year in property taxes. So imagine a retiree on a fixed income who purchased a home in the 1980s or 90s for $250,000 and suddenly over the course of the ensuing 20, 30 years, every time the home gets reassessed to current market value is paying current market value property taxes of approximately 2% by the time you add in all of the uh, street lighting and uh, whatever else uh, that they, they tend to tack on, local municipality bond measures, by the way, you would be looking at a cool $20,000 uh, $20, a year. Uh, that, for most seniors, is pretty close to almost what they receive in Social Security. So Proposition 13 has been a savior for Californians. And yet, the greedy people in Sacramento who have never seen a budget that they could balance in their lives want to 
change the California state constitution. And they say, oh, no, 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 this is only for commercial property. Well, believe me, if they get Proposition 15 passed, next they're coming for your house. What is so insidious about this particular proposition is commercial real estate owners that own shopping malls, stores, shops, commercial strip malls, once assessed with the higher rate, will pass the additional property taxes on to the renters, small businesses, who in turn will pass the additional costs on to you and me. So in the middle of a pandemic, with millions of people unemployed, with folks not even able to pay their own rent, and so many small businesses being forced out of business, potentially never to return, Proposition 15 would be a bad idea under any set of circumstances. Under the current economic conditions in the state of California, this is suicide. It is absolute insanity. And they always try to grease the skids by saying it's going to fund K-12 through public schools, community colleges. You want to help education, don't you? You want to help destroy the state of California, don't you? You want to help drive small businesses out of business, don't you? You want to help increase 50% of the California state budget, well over $30 billion a year that goes into education alone. Think of all the state does. And more than 50 cents out of every dollar goes exclusively to funding education. And we were told when we bought the line about support the lotto, and that'll help cover all the costs for education in California. Yeah. And I've got some beachfront property in Nevada that I'm going to sell you if you want it. Uh, This is just bad legislation. It is economically foolish, potentially disastrous to our state. In the day and age when we can least afford it, and are a set of circumstances where so many small businesses are suffering already, do we really want to put more suffering on the books? Proposition 15 will funnel more money, by the way, into organizations like Planned Parenthood because more school funding. You see where I'm going with this? We should not be allowing the state to squander more money. We should teach the state to live within its means. So for your sake, as a renter, be it of an apartment building or a home or an owner of a home or somebody who operates a small business or patronizes small business or appreciates small business or recognizes the importance of small business, vote no on Proposition 15. This is just bad fiscal policy and could be One of the biggest nails in the coffin of the state of California ever, if this piece of ridiculous legislation were to ever see the light of day. No vote on Proposition 15. We'll be back with more of the propositions right now, though. Let's get you a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back. Before we get to that special sermon by Dr. Robert Jeffress. Let's see how many more of these propositions I can kind of dash through. Remember Proposition 209 way back in the day? 
that essentially ended affirmative action policies in the state of California. Well, Proposition 13, I'm sorry, 16, uh, would uh, essentially reinstitute the affirmative action in California. Prop 16 would permit government decision-making policies to consider race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin to address diversity by repealing Article 1, Section 31 of the California Constitution as amended by Proposition 209, clear back in 1996. Current law, of course, prohibits the use of state funds for discrimination for any reason, and um, this could be of concern. So there's a matter of balance here, and um, the California Pro-Life Council while recommending a no vote on Proposition 16, um, the the notion may be open to the potential future impact financially, fiscally, by Proposition 13, including the potentiality of lawsuits. So there's Prop 16, again, a recommended no vote. All right, moving on, Prop 17. I'll break it down for you real easy. Proposition 17 seeks to allow 17-year-olds to vote. How easy is that to remember? Um, it actually does does a number of things. Um, it allows um, people in prison or on parole that are not allowed to vote. This would amend the state constitution to restore voting rights to those felons who have lost them once they complete their prison term. And, you know, when you think of it, uh, there's a notion of this permanent punishment. I don't know how many people that have gone through um, the uh, system in California and have been convicted of a felony and served their time to come back that are necessarily roaring to head out there and start voting. Uh, But the notion of permanently barring them from participating in voting because they've committed a felony seems to damage some of their constitutional rights, at least it does to me. So uh, in this regard, the recommendation on Prop 17 is you think that they ought to be allowed to vote once they've served their time and are off of parole? Then uh, vote accordingly on Proposition 18. And I, I misspoke. Prop 17 is the one related to restoring the voting rights of convicted felons once they've served their time. Prop 18 is the one that allows 17-year-olds to vote, which encouraging young people to get involved in the political process, I think, is a great idea. And part of the motivation here, of course, is to address the low voter turnout that we've seen historically across the country, and it's an ever-increasing problem. Will that necessarily be fixed because kids still in high school can start voting? I don't know that it will. I don't know most 17-year-olds are really going to be more concerned about who the governor is as opposed to, you know, when uh, when the new PS5 is released by Sony. That's probably a bigger issue, right? Top of mind. <laughs> so um, does this open the door of opportunity for a little bit of tomfoolery? Well, certainly, if they are learning to vote while they're still in school, I wonder where they would be getting information about how to vote. Could it be 
from those in public schools that have a vested interest in helping to persuade 17-year-olds to vote in one direction or another. I suppose it's true that they can do that with an 18-year-old, right, who who's to, um, has not reached uh, uh, graduation yet. I think when I turned 18, I had about two months to go before I completed my scholastic career and would have been in time for a, a June uh, election had it come up in that particular year. So I'm going to say on Proposition 18, a no vote. I don't really know that it solves the problem that it it, uh, it seeks to uh, to address, but there it is. I'm going to skip over 19 for a moment, not because it's not consequential, but because the time is uh, quickly eroding here. Prop 21, I want to jump to that real quick. Prop 21 expands local government's authority to enact rent control on residential property. It amends state law um, that would establish rent control on residential properties over 15 years old, meaning the building itself has to be 15 years or older. It will allow local limits on annual rent increases to differ from current statewide limit, which I think right now is held to... The, the annual inflation rate plus two points. This allows rent increases on rent-controlled properties of up to 15% over three years of the start of new tenancy and would exempt individuals who own no more than two homes from new rent-controlled policies. So this is more multifamily dwellings or folks that have multiple rentals. Um, it's the market will bear. And I know that this is going to come uh, as a bit of a rub for some people that say, Craig, do you know how much I'm paying in rent? Uh, but there's also the notion of allowing the marketplace to determine what the rents will be. And uh, th- this could have pretty significant um, fiscal impacts on renters because some of the additional uh, costs here uh, would be passed along. So it's a matter of personal choice on this one. I suppose if you're a landlord, you're going to vote no on Prop 21. And if you're a renter, you're going to vote yes on Prop 21. So we'll kind of leave that one up to you. No horse in this race, as they say. Um, Finally, I want to jump to uh, Proposition 23. Boy, this one is kind of uh, like eating raw onions. It keeps coming back on you. Prop 23 establishes state requirements for kidney dialysis clinics, requires on-site medical professional, and the opinion of the California Pro-Life Council is by imposing new regulations and increasing costs for kidney dialysis clinics, Prop 23 would force some clinics to either close or cut services. This, of course, can endanger the lives of patients that depend on kidney dialysis to survive. So the recommendation on Proposition 23 is a no vote. That's no on Proposition 23. All right, we hit most of the highlights for you. More complete details, particularly in relationship to candidates and the propositions, from a uniquely pro-life perspective, go to CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. We also invite you to check out and tune in to Brian Johnston, 
who, of course, hosts Life Matters every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock right here on KFAX. And um, this uh, weekend, heading into the election, uh, he will deal with those details in depth. That's this Saturday, 11 o'clock. Life Matters right here on KFAX. Final program note, and that is don't forget tomorrow night is the final presidential debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And um, that will be carried one hour delayed, give you a chance to get home, have dinner, sit down, listen to the entire debate, uninterrupted, commercial free. That'll be tomorrow at 7 p.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The answer, that's tomorrow, 7 o'clock, the final presidential debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, 7 p.m. on 860 a.m. The answer. 545, Dr. Robert Jeffers coming up around the corner. Get you around that corner. Let's get a look at traffic.